It is at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we're going to even look at an Old Testament passage to help us to do that very thing. Would you find in your Bibles, smartphones, tablets, some may even be under the seats, but I'd love for everybody to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 9. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 8, 2 Samuel chapter 9. Well, you have come today, and we are glad that you are here. We appreciate you being here, members and guests alike. I uh, always have lots of guests. And so if you've come today, you think you're the only one, you're not. We uh, have others, and we're glad that you're here as well. Know that every time we come together, Jesus is the center. Thank you so much to our praise band uh, for leading us to the throne of grace today so that the table is set. The Lord wants to continue to be at work today, and uh, we're glad you're here. So we're continuing our series. We're walking through the life of David. As we do, we're talking about he's still king, not David, but our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Still king rules over all things regardless of what happens in this world, regardless of what's happened and taking place in your life. We are in 2 Samuel chapter 9 and uh, going to be reading verses 1 through 8. And you might want to keep your Bibles open as we'll be looking at these verses and others a little more closely. This now is the word of God. And David said, is there still some, anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then king David sent and brought him from the house of Maker, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all that the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word today. It was uh, William uh, Shakespeare's The Merchant of Venice that we find one of the uh, most beautiful discourses on quality. Act 4, scene 1, uh, Portia says to Shylock, Mercy is twice blessed. It blesses him that gives and him that takes. It's an attribute to God himself. Therefore, consider this. In the course of justice, none of us should see salvation. We do pray for mercy, and that same prayer doth teach us all to render the deeds of mercy. Now, I know what you're thinking. I'm more likely to quote Barney Fife or Elmer Fudd than I am Shakespeare. But here it is. We've got Shakespeare here before us. And, uh, but I've got to tell you, Shakespeare plagiarized. He stole this idea, at least the concept. There's nowhere else that he could have gotten this idea about mercy being good for the one who receiveth and the one who gives. There's nowhere else except for from God and his word where he could have understood that, we, that all of us might be able to receive salvation, but none of us have that which is due. If we got what we were due, we would not. The only hope is found in God. Only hope is found in him. And because we have received mercy, those of us who are followers of the Lord Jesus, what incentive we have to be able to show mercy and love to others. Understanding the mercy is central to our understanding of who Jesus is, for whom we've sung about today, and it is central to what God's Word says. It's because of 
God's mercy that you and I and all human beings do not all get what we deserve. Rather, he gives us what we do not deserve. He shows mercy and salvation and purpose to all come to him in faith. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1, we read just a moment ago, David seeks to show kindness to anyone who is left in the family of King Saul on behalf of Saul's son and David's best friend, Jonathan. Now, the word for kindness in the original language, Hebrew language, it would be uh, understood as hesed, which means mercy or love as well. It would be a word particularly only understood and truly defined by God's love and mercy as it has been shown through Jesus. Now, the act of David's kindness leads us to the discovery of the son of Jonathan by his name is Mephibosheth. Now, the story of Mephibosheth, feel free to say it at any time because it's a fun word to say, but uh, the story of Mephibosheth is not as well known as some of the stories in the Bible. In fact, David had not known of Mephibosheth until he started looking for him. You may not have known of Mephibosheth before you came in here today. So together we're going to learn about Mephibosheth. If you already know the story, together we're going to learn even more about God's grace and mercy as is represented in this story and as we were going to see, points to the mercy and the grace that we have received because of the Lord Jesus Christ. A couple of ways we're going to look at this. We're going to look at what it is that we can learn because if we're going to understand about the mercy as represented here, even said by Shakespeare, if we're going to learn about it, we've got to know more about God's mercy. So we're going to talk about what we can learn about God's mercy today. And then at the same time, we're going to ask the so what question. If these things are true, then what difference does it make? And talk about how it might be practical. And we'll talk about the letters of M-E-R-C-Y here in just a moment to see how we can demonstrate his kindness and love for others. I think when uh, David became king of Israel, and he became king of Israel in 2 Samuel, all of Israel, 2 Samuel Chapter 5, just a few chapters before this, he must have made a checklist of all the things that he wanted to do or that he felt like God wanted him to do. And the checklist may have looked something like this. He wanted to make, first of all, Jerusalem capital. So in 2 Samuel chapter 5, Jerusalem, who'd been inhabited by Jebusites for over a thousand years, it became the capital of Israel as well as the center of worship. So check, he did this very thing. And then he wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant to where he was in Jerusalem to be kept there. Second Samuel chapter 6, not without some difficulty, as we have discovered if you've read chapter 6, but uh, we find that he did that very thing. And then we find that David wanted to build a temple for God and a place to be able to house the Ark of the Covenant. He desired to do that. As a matter of fact, if you've got your Bibles open, Second Samuel chapter 7 verses 1 through 5 says this. Now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now I dwell in the house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? We find David has said, he wants, to take the, he wants to build the temple for God. And Nathan has realized God's with, with David. So go ahead and plan to build the temple. But then that very night, God spoke to Nathan the prophet and said to tell David and ask the question, would you build me a house? Question mark, as if to say, maybe you're not the one to do it. Chapter 7, verses 12 and 13 uh, says this. Verse 12, when your days are fulfilled... Lord speaking again to David, when your days is fulfilled, you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you 
who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. A couple of prophecies that are given here, one short term, one long term. The short term is, David, you're not going to be build the temple, but your son Solomon is going to do that. And uh, as a matter of fact, David did everything in preparation so that the son Solomon be ready to build the temple. Long term was that this kingdom will be established forever. Not talking about Solomon's kingdom or David's kingdom, but it would be that the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So these were fulfilled in what was taking place there. And even though David was not able to fulfill the kingdom, we might put a check over that because he knows it's going to be taken care of, been told by the Lord God. And then we find that uh, he wanted to enlarge Israel as God had intended. And as a matter of fact, he began to enlarge, have victories over his enemies till he finally came to the place to where pretty much all the land, what is called the promised land that Abraham had walked over the first time belonged to God's people. Let's read 2 Samuel chapter 8. As a matter of fact, we'll read verses 11 and 12. Kind of understanding we're doing a summary that leads us to our passage in chapter 9. This is kind of a summary of the battles. These also King David dedicated to the Lord together with the silver and the gold that he dedicated from all the nations he subdued from Edom, Moab, the Ammonites, the Philistines, Amalek, and from the spoil of Hadadezer, the son of Reho, king of Zobah. Here's a, here's a map kind of showing uh, maybe the land that was conquered. And this was what Abraham walked over hundreds of years before that was promised to his descendants and David at his time and his reign. Uh, had more of the land that had been conquered for Israel and more of the promised land than in any other time in Israel's history. So we could say that it was checklist that was taken there. But you might remember, of course, that the, what was promised to Abraham was not only a promised land, but that all the nations would be blessed. And we recognize that what's taking place here is a preparation for the time, particularly the area in which going to take place in which Jesus would come and he would be born and he would bless the entire world. So while chapter 8 reminds us of God's promises to a nation and to the world and to all generations to come and that Jesus Christ is coming again for all people, chapter 9 brings us to the point of application. People are saved one person at a time. The greatness of God is that he wants to have a relationship with every one of you, with every one of us. His greatness, as if we were the only one, he wants to be able to show us and represent his mercy. Chapter 9, next thing on David's checklist. Fulfill a promise. Care for the king's family as he had promised. Everything we know about kindness and mercy we learn from God. So we're going to be able to talk about some of these truths about God to help us to understand more about God's mercy. And one of the first things that we learn is that he is rich in mercy. He is rich in mercy. Mercy. Ephesians chapter 2, 4 says, For God, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he had loved us. How do we know that God's rich in mercy? Well, the Bible tells us so. And then many of you also have experienced. In our, in our study today, we're going to see kindness demonstrated to one person on behalf of another. Mephibosheth receives kindness, has nothing, does nothing deserving of the act of David. It is an act of David. It is by God's design to be a picture of God's mercy that is shown toward us. David looked to see who he could find that would still be alive, a part of Saul's family, 
that he could show kindness to because of the promise David made to Jonathan, the son of Saul. Back in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 13 through 15, Jonathan is the one that's doing the talking. He said, he's talking to David, may the Lord be with you as he used to be with my father. But as long as I live, promise me that you will show me kindness because of the Lord. And even when I die, never stop being kind to my family. Now, the word, as we have said in Hebrews, the word hesed, it's used three times in 2 Samuel 9, used here in 1 Samuel 20. It's translated in kindness in the English Standard Version, the translation that I read. It is such a rich word that one English word probably does not help us to be able to understand, sometimes translated simply as mercy and sometimes as love. John Oswald said this, hesed is a completely undeserved kindness and generosity. For today, as we talk about God's mercy, as we talk about his love and kindness in relation to this story and God's mercy on us, this will kind of be our understanding of what we're talking about, a completely undeserved kindness and generosity. There were a couple of scientists that were on a Discovery Channel or some such as that, and they had to, talking about where they had discovered another solar system not long ago, you know, thousands of light years away. And in the conversation or the interview that was taking place with these scientists, they said, if we could travel there today, how long would it take us to get to that solar system? As they were describing how far out it is and new solar system they discovered. said, it would take us about a thousand years in order to be able to get there today if we were to travel there from now. Then they asked the question, do you believe after discovering this there's life on other planets? And Because uh, this solar system was not unlike our solar system. And they said with great confidence, sure there is. There's got to be life on other planets or life like ours after all. Look at how vast the universe is in this solar system. Much like ours, there must be life on other planets. So was their conclusion. It's interesting to me that as they talked about these very things, that there was no mention that it led them to believe with the vast expanse of the universe would cause them to consider that there must be a creator, that there must be someone, there must be a creator of the universe. I think the greatness and the vastness of the universe should lead people to believe more in a creator God not less. Galaxies some 50,000 light years from earth are beyond our comprehension. But the psalmist compared the richness of God's mercy to just that. Psalm 103 in verse 11 it says, For as the high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. Mercy could be defined as the compassion expressed to meet human need. From creation to revelation, the Bible is a story of a compassionate loving God. Let Let's look at our concept of God overall, or maybe how some people view God. Though some who may certainly believe that there is a God, they believe that God is very far away from them and that he has little to do with their everyday life. Then there are others, maybe because of their own experience or something somebody's told them, or maybe even from some of the Old Testament stories that we read without reading the whole Bible and all it says about Jesus, they believe that God is kind of a judgmental God. God's ready to watch you to see if you're going to step out of line so that he might zap you. But a closer look at the whole Bible, the life and the teachings of Jesus, we find that God is involved, very much involved in people's lives. Jesus, who lives to, lived amongst us, was in fact the most compassionate one who ever lived. Let's not forget that Jesus came into history. In fact, he changed history as he came in to live amongst us so that he might die for us on the cross so that we might know more about God's compassion and his love for us.
Well, what more can you learn? Well, he's ready to be merciful. He's ready to be merciful. Saul's grandson was Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was five years old when his grandfather and his father died in battle. Saul's household fled. At five years old, Mephibosheth's nurse dropped him while they were fleeing. and He was crippled in both feet. Now, in the passage that we're focusing on today, 2 Samuel 9, he's about 21 years of age. David's looking anyone from the house of Saul that he might be able to show kindness to on behalf of his friend, Jonathan. Calls one of Saul's servants, former servants, Ziba, and asks Ziba, who tells of one of David's descendants, the only one left, of one of Jonathan's descendants, only one left, his son Mephibosheth, who's lame in both feet. In fact, it's repeated more than once. He's lame in both feet, so we can get a picture of a young man who's pitiable among others, who's called to the palace, and in a surprise move, he's given all the land that previously belonged to Saul, and he eats at the king's table. A completely undeserved kindness and generosity. Don't you know that our Lord, who is rich in mercy, we may not know how or why, but he has arranged so that we might experience more of his kindness and more of his love. Jesus demonstrated he's ready to be merciful. He came across a man who'd been born blind and he healed him. Jesus felt the touch of a woman with a blood disease and he healed her. When Jairus' daughter has died, he raised her from the dead. While many, when many are condemning a woman caught in adultery, he forgave her. Matthew chapter 15, there's a Gentile woman that cried out to Jesus said, Lord Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering from demon possession. Curiously, she said, woman, don't you know that I've come for the house of Israel? But she asked again, Lord, help me. In emphasizing that he is ready to show compassion to all, Jesus cast the demon out. Matthew chapter 17, a man came to Jesus, Lord, have mercy on my son suffering from seizures. Your disciples I have asked but could do nothing. Jesus healed the boy. Jesus had a way of going to those who were lonely and make them feel loved. He found prostitutes and tax collectors and drunkards and society's worst. And he loved them and he showed love. He helped them and he put them on their feet. And Jesus still does so today. He took little children into his arms and gathered him and loved them. Once he saw a funeral procession go by, he saw a mother weeping because her son was dead. This was a widowed woman. She'd already lost her husband. Now she has no children to care for. Jesus stopped the funeral procession, put his hand on the casket and raised the child from the dead because he cared. Understanding. Understand something about the compassion of God. He wants to show that kind of mercy. Maybe your prayer today is, God have mercy on me. God have mercy on my son or my daughter or my spouse or my family or my friend. Well, we can remember the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 4, 16 that says, let us therefore approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we might be able to receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Mercy by very definition is undeserved. May we stop thinking that we deserve for God to be good to us. We don't. May we stop thinking that we sure need life to be fair to us. We don't. What we deserve is punishment because of our sins, to be separated from God. But if you know God personally through Jesus, you know a God of mercy and of love. Well, what more can you learn? God reproduces merciful people. God reproduces merciful people. Psalm 
chapter 37 and verse 21 says, the righteous show mercy and giveth. Another translation says the righteous are generous. The word for mercy carries it with the idea of empathy, getting inside another person's skin so as to become completely identified with them. It's not just pity. It's seeing through their eyes, thinking like they would think, feeling their innermost feelings. You've heard the phrase, Don't, do not judge or criticize someone until you've walked a mile in their shoes. Well, to be merciful is to seek to identify with another that you understand their condition and you act accordingly. Does that not sound like Jesus? After all, he took on skin just like ours. He understood, knows our temptations and our sorrows. He, was, he has empathy even now for each one of us. And as his disciples, we should have the same care and compassion for others. Perhaps even some of those that it, where it may not be deserved. In Matthew chapter 18, Peter comes to Jesus and asks him, says, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times, Peter said, thinking that was a generous amount. But you know what Jesus said. He said, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven, meaning that your forgiveness should be unlimited like God's forgiveness. And then right after that, he told a parable. He told a parable about the king who decided to receive and square all the debts of people that owed him money, that had borrowed money. And he came to one fellow that owed a significant amount, millions of dollars in our time today in which he would said, and he told the man to pay back. He said, I cannot pay it back. He said, well, I'll put you and your wife and your children in prison until the debt is paid. And he pleaded, he said, oh, be merciful to me, the man pleaded before him. And the king was merciful. Not only did he give him time to pay the debt, no, in fact, he erased the debt altogether and let him go. And the servant on hearing the news went out and he found a fellow servant who owed him but a few dollars. And he grabbed him by the neck and he choked him and he demanded, pay back what you owe me. And this fellow in a similar fashion fell onto his knees and begged, be patient, I'll pay you back what I owe. But instead of showing mercy, he threw him in prison along with his wife and along with his children until the debt was paid. When the king found out, he wanted to know, why if I canceled all your debt, why wouldn't you return in kind? Matthew 18, says, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Are those not the words of Jesus to each one of us who know Christ as the Lord and Savior? It makes sense that if we've been forgiven and shown so much mercy that we've become merciful people, to fail to do so might be evidence that we have not really experienced the mercy or the grace of God or we have not found ourselves to be grateful and had gratitude for all that he has done, as we should have. After David had become king of Israel, and after he had conquered Jerusalem, after he had brought the ark into Jerusalem, and he wanted to be able to build the temple, but the Lord told him that it would not be him but his son. David prayed a prayer of gratitude. Second Samuel chapter 7 and verse 18 says this, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? David says, and then we find it sounds a little bit familiar to the prayer or what the gratitude that was given by Mephibosheth that we read earlier. Second Samuel chapter 9 and verse 8 says, And he paid homage, meaning Mephibosheth paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Notice these statements sound familiar. 
Lord is looking to reproduce merciful people and people who have gratitude so that we might be able to show mercy and other people might have gratitude so that we might be able to point them to Jesus. Well, what more can you learn? How about he requires us to show mercy to others? He requires us to show mercy to others as well. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 17 says, a man who is kind benefits himself. I gotta tell you, I love the story of Mephibosheth. Uh, it's not just because I like saying the word, though I practice so I could say it correctly over and over, but there are better known stories in the Bible. The story of David and Goliath. Story of David and Bathsheba, which is going to come here very shortly. And the story of uh, many other stories. But this story of Mephibosheth is stuck away in one of the shorter chapters about David. Uh, it's kind of a nice and sweet story. But it's more than that. It's a powerful story and help us to understand about the goodness of God. David and the kingdom of Israel are at the height of their reign. is at the height militarily and economically, spiritually. The kingdom has come together under David's rule. They have been united. And one day David asked, is there anyone left of King Saul's house that I might show God's kindness? David's looking to show kindness to any of Saul's descendants, but his kindness, it has little to do with King Saul or even helping a crippled person, but it's for the sake of Saul's son and Mephibosheth's father, Jonathan, whom David loved and David had promised that he would take care of his descendants. And Mephibosheth is found living in a place called Lodabar, a self-proclaimed exile east of the Jordan River. Lodabar means no pasture land or a wasteland. And David has him brought from Lodabar to Jerusalem. And when Mephibosheth heard the news of the king summoning him who, to be and appear before him, Mephibosheth, this, who was the enemy of one time of King Saul, he certainly had feelings of fear or uncertainty. And maybe depending on the stories that he had listened to and maybe if there are Stories who had come from Saul, maybe he would be fearful. Maybe the stories that were coming from his father, Jonathan, maybe at least maybe coming in great anticipation. We have some clues in the scripture as to how he came and what he was thinking perhaps because David said, do not fear. Now keep in mind as Saul's dynasty continued, Mephibosheth would have been next in line to the throne. And from a political standpoint, David had every reason to make sure that did not happen. But 2 Samuel chapter 9 is one of those most uh, touching scenes in all the Old Testament. As lame Mephibosheth appears before King David, he probably had to be carried to the throne room. And, but since the Bible says that he bowed, that he, that, he, that he fell before the king, perhaps as he came just before to appear David, maybe on his own, he insisted on making his own way in order to come to the king. And David also had to be waiting in anticipation because here's the only son left of his best friend. And he's waiting to be able to see and anticipating what he's going to give. And so as David's waiting, Mephibosheth is in the wings making his way. Maybe he, maybe he hears Mephibosheth before he sees him. as Mephibosheth is perhaps making his way, dragging one foot, pushing the other in order to make his way to the king. And then he comes and he peers before the king. He's slow and deliberate. Shh, shh, 
but clumsily he comes and finds himself before the king and there the scripture says that he falls before David. Perhaps it helped you to picture uh, maybe a better known character by the name of Quasimodo from the novel The Hunchback of Notre Dame, a most pitiable, unattractive man with little to offer the world, someone that the rest of the world would pay no attention to except for maybe to stare in disgust. But he's called before the king. Mephibosheth falls and he says, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? And as David unveils to Mephibosheth his plan, his act of mercy and grace, he says, for, for starters, I want to give you back all the land that belongs to your grandfather, to King Saul. And he says, I'll have the servants of Saul take care of the land so that you will have income and more. But that's not all. I want to give you the ultimate gift. From now on, you will come and you will sit at the king's table. You will live with me. You will be as the son of the king. My goodness, Mephibosheth had gone from low to bar to low to billionaire. We would say that he'd won the lottery if we weren't Baptist, but not because he was smart or he was good looking or a good athlete or even at the right time at the right place, but because David had made a promise to the son of King Saul. In fact, it seems he goes beyond the promise of just showing kindness and our way of understanding kindness, but to elaborately and lavishly give him more than he could ask or imagine. Three times it's repeated that he would eat at the king's table. Such significance that Mephibosheth would now be as one of the family. Verse 7 of 2 Samuel 9 reminds you again to where it says, And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land of your father, and you shall eat at my table always. I want you to see this. You and I, we were more like Mephibosheth or Quasimodo more than you could imagine or realize. Banished in a self-imposed exile like Lo Debar because of sin. We were spiritually crippled. But like David who took the initiative to, to find Jonathan's son, the Lord has taken the initiative and he's found and he has invited us to his table, provided for us and lavished on us undeserving gifts and blessings we become his adopted children. Why? Not because we're smart, not because we're good looking, certainly not because we're good, but because of a promise. A promise made to the Son of God, not unlike the promise made to Jonathan, the son of King Saul. Yet to all who received him, to all who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. And the promise is kindness and mercy to God's family. Are you a member of God's family today? If so, you have re received and you have experienced God's mercy. If not, today is the day that you want to call upon Jesus and you want to experience true grace and mercy unlike any that we could have had on this earth without the visit of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. See also this. Mephibosheth is given the land that belonged to his family. It would be part of what we call the promised land. Part of what had been promised that it was going to be given to him which is equivalent to the New Testament follower to being able to walk with Jesus and to be able to serve him all of our life in his name. We're given that by the mercy and the grace of Jesus. But not only that, like Mephibosheth, who was invited to eat at the king's table always as the son of the king, we are invited to eat at the table of Jesus for all time. 
Jesus said in Luke, also in Revelation, blessed is everyone who will sit at the feast in the kingdom of God and the marriage supper of the Lamb. You, follower of Jesus, you are doubly blessed to walk in fellowship, serving Jesus, the King of kings, to live forever with a place at the king's table. You are the tangible example or, or illustration of God's mercy on earth. Well, all these things are true. So what? What difference will it make? Well, we want to remind you what it is that we should be doing, remind you what it is, maybe give you a checklist. Just as David became the king of Israel, he had a checklist of the things that he wanted to do for the Lord. Well, I think it'd be okay for you to have a checklist today using the letters of mercy, M-E-R-C-Y. If you've received God's mercy, these are the things that we need to be doing. Meet God daily is the ilm in mercy. Because he is rich in mercy, grace, and love, you want to experience more. The E is enjoy God's love for you. Enjoy God's love and care. This might be part of our problem even as believers. We're always worried about what the future might hold, the crisis that we're facing today. And we forget to simply enjoy God's care for each one of us each and every day. But if you know, most of you can experience and talk about what the Lord's done for you in the past. Maybe you know as a believer in the Lord Jesus, heaven is going to be waiting for you. So why not every day take time to enjoy God's loving care? The R's reflect Jesus every day to everyone. Now, notice the shift. It's not just about you. But reflect Jesus every day. Not just to those that show you love and compassion, but to everyone. And in every situation, for Jesus showed us kindness when we did not deserve it. The C is to communicate God's mercy on earth. Communicate God's mercy and love to others. In much the same way that Jesus was God's way of communicating His love when He was here on earth, now we are the body of Christ and we are to be communicating God's love to a world that needs to know about His love and needs to be pointed to Jesus. And we've talked about there's a requirement for us, and it's a requirement if you're professing Believer in Jesus, you are representing God. The only question is how well you represent God by your actions and by what you say. And then the why that we have in mercy is this, that you are blessed. Be a blessing. You see, Jesus defines what it means to be blessed because many of us, even as believers, we talk about how blessed we are and sometimes we're talking about our health or talking about our pocketbook, but to be blessed in Jesus means that we get in on what Christ is doing. We're able to join in on showing mercy and love and giving grace to others because we have experienced it ourselves firsthand. If you've not experienced the love of Christ, the mercy of Christ firsthand, I want to encourage you today, even as we pray in just a moment and we sing our, our last song today, I want to encourage you, maybe even during that time, to call upon Jesus. Be sure that you've asked Christ to forgive you of your sins and you've asked Jesus to be your Savior and Lord. Let's bow together in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come now before you recognizing that we do not deserve your mercy or your grace or your love. But may we come even now in a spirit of gratitude, thanking you for the great things that you have done. Thank you for what you've done in my life. Thank you for the, what you have done in the lives of those believers who are gathered here because you have called us to yourself and you have made yourself known. You've allowed us to be able to walk with you today so that we might be able to serve you
Help us to live a life worthy of the calling of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you that we are able to come to your table and fellowship with you not only today but for all eternity. And we thank you for what you have provided. We pray for today, Father, for anyone that does not know that experience, that does not know Christ as Lord and Savior. If there's someone here today or someone listening online even who needs to give their heart and life to you, may today be the day of salvation. May they be ready. May you prepared their hearts because of what's been sung here today. The prayers lifted and even the reading proclamation of your word. We know that your name is powerful. Your word is powerful. We pray, Father, for how it's going to be, continue to be at work, even in these next few minutes of worship. We lift up these prayers in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.